All right. There will be bourbon. The virtual bar is stocked. The guest is here. It is Mr. Alan Morte of Three Ventures. How are you, brother? I'm doing good. And you All look right. great, by the way. Last time I yeah. saw you, it's been a minute. you know, you weren't uh, you weren't hitting it as hard as you've been hitting it. You know, no. I mean, you, maybe you were drinking a little bit more, like no. you're in that poster in the That's, background. But none of that, good. None of that, none of that. Really, the only difference is, is that, um, I probably walk six or seven miles every day, in addition to what I do workout wise. Really? Yeah. So I mean, I fairly pretty much eat the same i clearly drink the same if not just as, <laughs> if not more um, if not more <laughs> i mean i do do a little bit more from a workout perspective because i just have more equipment to use where i'm at but i mean i'm honestly not doing anything significantly different other than i think you know when you walk six seven miles a day that that's a big deal over a course of a week you know it just starts oh yeah spikes your metabolic activity for sure yeah especially if you do it in the morning yeah. So yeah, I think like I said, I was telling you guys. So the other thing, Alan is uh, a five-time world championship member of the uh, Placer CrossFit softball team. Congratulations <laughs> on your latest victory. Yeah. Thank you. You were there in spirit. Uh, you know, we, we missed you. I don't got five. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whew, one hand's getting a little way down. I know. You know, you, you guys, on another one. Yeah. You guys are going to run out of wall space for all the team photos as well. So um. yeah. I got one of you right over here to my left. Yeah, I was wondering, I see something in the back. I was wondering if one of those are one of the photos. Yeah, I got a bunch of racing photos. That's true. Uh, over here from a, a lot of the races. Yeah, I gotta get let me let me make a quick note of that before the uh the bourbon kicks in. Uh racing. Yeah, so uh before we do get into a little bit more discussion, as always, this is fueled by America's native spirit, which is bourbon. And tonight's we're going with a little knob creek 18 year, uh fairly recent release from you know, Jim Beam and their Knob Creek distillery, small craft or uh, small batch line. Um, hard to find at a normal price. Uh, the state of Virginia, where I'm currently at, uh, was not what provided this to me. It just happened to be <laughs> randomly when I uh, I was driving up to New York, where I went to college back, uh, what, in April? Well, the first college I went to, to where I played baseball. And, you know, as I go through every state, if I see a liquor store, I stop. And this was the one next to campus. And I was like, well, I got to go in here. The last time I was here was 20 years ago, underage. Um, and what do you know? They had it just sitting there at retail because what college kid in Oswego, New York, you know, is going to be able to afford the markup that a lot of these places will stack onto this. So I picked that up, got it. And now we're going to uh, bust it out here on the show. And uh, yeah, like I said, 18 year, all the Knob Creek line is pretty damn good. Um, you can find it readily available. Most of the, the nine year and the 12 years gotten pretty popular as well. Uh, 15 still kind of hard to find in the 18. Like I said, if you can get it, grab it. But, uh, as always, we, I always we have it in our bar at the office. Do you? Well, yeah. But just, you know, don't overpay for this stuff is my thing as, as much as you can, you know, California's way, uh, I would say easier to make relationships because it is just a regular type of state in terms of the liquor problem. <laughs> if you call it a problem, but Virginia, you know, it's got the, it's state ran. So everything, the good side of that is that, you know, you're not going to get it for much over retail, but it's just hard to find stuff. Right. Cause it's allocated. Wait. And they put limits. Did you just say government and good in the same sentence? (laughs) 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 I, uh, I'm not much of a huge drinker, but I will say, you know, the, the stuff that we do drink is, is in the bar. And 
One of the guys in our office, his name is Dragos. He runs the Bourbon Club. Yeah, I remember uh, we. Yeah, this was before the shutdown. I used to do little meetings with him in Roseville. Yeah, he was part of the Bourbon Club. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, he stocks our bar quite nicely. And uh, when we were first doing our podcast, the Whack Attack podcast, um, I used to have a drink or two. And it, and when we'd have like a two or two and a half hour podcast, it would be you know kind of interesting because. Uh, my words was start to sound like this at the end. <laughs> and, and it, it takes some practice and I've, I've got three years of this. So I feel like I'm getting better. The good thing is you never really hear it. Right. So I don't go back and listen to anything largely. So I don't know, but I do feel when it's time for me to turn this, you know, it's like, all right, let's wrap this up. Cause Wait, you don't go back and listen to the episodes. Not really. I used to like the first, first year, maybe I'd go back or, but I'm not really like, I remember them. You know, I don't really go back and listen to stuff. There is times when I'm going to upload and I'm trying to come up with a summary and I'm like, oh, I really don't remember because I probably was having a little too much. So I'll go back and, you know, speed through it just to kind of pick up on some key things for a summary. But I, I definitely don't go back and listen. Yeah, I go back. Most of these are like two, three hours, man. I don't really listen unless I'm driving and I don't want to listen to myself. Yeah. That's true. I can see that. <laughs> I, well, I listen to ours on usually like two or three X speed. And the main thing is, that? I can't do that. I, I can process things very quickly. It's also doesn't probably it why. Weird? No, it doesn't sound weird to me. Uh, I mean, I, I think maybe it's because I've become accustomed to it. Right. And so, you know, I've just always listened to podcasts that fast. My wife can't stand it. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, a really long Rogan episode, you know, that's how I'll listen to a really long Rogan episode. And I, and I usually don't listen to um, something that I'm not interested in. Uh, you know, that's the kicker. So if it's something yeah. I'm interested in, that it, it helps to, you know, pay attention to the topic when everybody sounds like a squirrel. But, um, <laughs> you know, for our episodes, I think we're always just hypercritical. I, I would say we're as close to a perfectionist as you can be without being toxic, um, yeah. you know, and... Uh, always I'm looking to make sure that I understand maybe how to, you know, ask a good question and then shut the fuck up and not ramble on or, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, be actively listening when we have a guest on and, you know, making sure that I'm asking questions to keep an interesting conversation going. Or when I'm talking about a topic or a subject uh, that I'm very knowledgeable with, that I have a lot of experience with, you know, not forgetting you know, key, simple um, sort of explanations of details that if I was talking to a peer, we would normally skip right over. But if it was, you know, somebody listening to us for the first time, like some of the guys on the podcast or on the softball team, yeah. you know, that they at least have a, a basic understanding of what it is that we're talking about. So it's, for me, it's been really good because it's like an avenue to improve my communication. Uh, and, and so I've really enjoyed uh, at least listening to myself and listening to the people on and figuring out how we can improve and do better. Cause I'd like to turn it into a full-time thing, not a hobby. I'd like, you know, we, we just picked up our first uh, sponsor of the podcast with Spotify. That's good. So I guess we were like one of their breakout podcasts using their platform. Um, and, you know, they came to us and offered uh, an advertising spot, uh, basically publishing the podcast platform that we uh, distribute on. So it's pretty cool. That's awesome, man. And so since you did bring it up, what is the podcast? Where can they find it? What is it about? Yeah, uh, Whack Tech Podcast. It's about Whack technology. Attack. Yeah, Whack Attack okay. Podcast. Okay. Uh, it's about technology on 
technology, entrepreneurship, okay. uh, finance, health, and fitness. Um, basically, the the things that myself and the other two founders, the Three Ventures, the company that uh, I'm the president of, uh, that that we all have a lot of interest and experience in. So, um, obviously, you heard uh, and listened to the AI episode that we had. Uh, you know, Curtis, my twin brother d- does a lot of the health and fitness. And, uh, I, my other business partner, Wally handles a lot of the, yeah. uh, technology side of things. And then, uh, you know, I'll play the utility player when needed, you know, when we <laughs> talk about racing or other items or, hey, um, needs its utility, man, the entrepreneurship mine right things. here. This is my utility player. You should say yeah. guys with me. Yeah. He, she, that's a, he, this is Frank. Yeah. Well, Francois, he's, he's he's originally from France, and we changed his name to Frank because he's American now, and he's disowned that lesser country where he hails <laughs> from. So, yeah, he's a good cat. Um, no, this is great. I'm glad you 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 brought that up because th- there's a lot of ways to take this. And as I said to you, like, look, I don't script it. I don't. I get some key ideas, and then I just sit like we're at a bar talking. And you mentioned AI, so. I want you to explain this, not like it's you're talking to me. I want you to explain it like you're talking to a room full of fifth graders and tell me what is AI and machine learning? What is what is it? AI and machine learning is a computer that has collected all of the knowledge and thoughts of everybody in the world and is able to provide you with answers to the questions that you have for it. However, just like people, it can tell you a truth or it can tell you not a truth, right? And so while it is like anybody else, you have to know what is good and what is bad. That is what AI and machine learning is for a fifth grader. Okay, now, why... Why has it gotten the attention of so many prominent figures like Elon Musk and a lot of other, you know, heads of that side of the world to basically come out and say, hey, we need to stop this or we need to really put a stamp on this in terms of we need to regulate it some way. And then to take it after that, how do we know the people that are going to do the regulation are going to be any better than if we just let it run wild? Because then, again, you bring in the human element, right? So what's... What's the big thing that people need to know with this stuff? Because you know this. Most people just, you know, they're concerned with their own lives and they don't really take into account a lot of the stuff that you and I are going to talk about tonight. Well, what I heard you say was three questions. The first one probably. is uh, probably <laughs> actually uh, uh, the first one was, you know, what is the deal with AI and why is it suddenly a big topic? Okay. Yeah. The second one was why do prominent figures still worried about it? And the third one was, you know, how do you get general people to think about this or to consider it when they're worried about, you know, living paycheck to paycheck or other items? Right. So the first question is, why is this different? Well, um, back when OpenAI came out and they had their GPT models, Curtis and Wally and I had beta access to it. And I mean, it was, hmm, it was crude. <laughs> And it wasn't all that great. It was cool in concept, you know. It was like a bunch of tech guys geeking out and yeah. um, doing that, and so so it was it was fun. But when the second model came out, it was a little bit better. We're like, okay, this is cool. They didn't really have an easy way to use it. And then when GPT three came out, 
it was an exponential growth in terms of the level of intellect that the large language model had or LLM. And they had a very intuitive user interface in the form of like a, a chat, right? So think like for, you know, for your boomers out there, for your millennials, you know, AOL, right? Yeah. Or for, you know, Gen Z and everybody else, Facebook Messenger, right? And you can go in and you can ask a question like magic. It just gave you a response. Well, this was largely the first time that the computational power of computers had aligned with an aggregated amount of data on the internet and had aligned with a very nice interface for you to interact with very high process computing power and a very large set of data with rules and regulation, think training of a, of a model, that gave it some parameters to follow sort of societal norms and humanity. So it was this perfect alignment of those four dimensions. And so it looked like magic. And it still looks like magic to most people. But really what it is, it is the probability of one word being next to another word. And so when so like you're typing and you get that auto thing, right? Like an autofill, which I hate. Yes and no. Let's let's say there are. Uh, what's something you're interested in? Let's go CrossFit. Okay. Let's say there's a million articles out on the internet yeah. about CrossFit, and ten thousand of them are about the Fran, Fran workout. Well, you go to ChatGPT and you're going to ask it. Well, what is the what is Fran and CrossFit? Well, now it's got ten thousand articles okay. that it's been trained on. And they're all going to say a different uh, variation of what yeah. is Fran. So it's going to give you a different variation of what is Fran based off of the words used in all 10,000 of those models and in relation to the question that you ask. Right. So if your question is different, like what is Fran or how to do Fran or why is Fran a staple workout in CrossFit, you know, it's going to use bits and pieces and combinations of those. And it's going to, it's going to aggregate them all together and then it's going to give you the best probability of words being next to each other, depending upon how you ask it. If you just ask it, what is Fran? It's going to give you a very cut and dry answer. Right. Yeah. Okay. But if you said, pretend you're a marketer and tell me why the workout Fran is so sexy, right? It's going to, you know, add in some flair into it. And it's all based off of the probability of words being next to other words, right? And so this is the first time that those four dimensions that I had talked about earlier had really aligned in a way where it looked like magic. I mean, magic is nothing more than illusion. Right, right. Yeah. This is nothing more than illusion. It's the first time we've had alignment, all this technology and everything else. So now to the second question, which is why are prominent figures like Elon Musk really worried about this? Well, there's two parts, okay? One, if our federal government can pull their head out of their fucking ass they would realize that they should have immediately went to OpenAI and said, you cannot make this available anywhere else but the United States. And matter of fact, we'll pay you to do so. Because first and foremost, it's, it's, it's a technological masterpiece. It, it is literally a paradigm shift. It is like the start, it is like uh, it is like the start of the internet. Yeah. I mean, this is this is how big of a deal we're talking. So then you think about it 
like, okay, why is Elon worried? It's not just for national defense, which by the way, this would be like one of the few things in my lifetime that I think would be a legitimate use of national security. Right. Um, and I, and I, and I, and I put it up in air quotes and you're laughing because you no. understand what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and when you consider, okay, the exponential growth that this had from two to three years ago, when I was working yeah. on the beta, largely that exponential growth is because people were using it. They were saying, this is a good response. This is a bad response. And now it has guardrails when it looks at the probability of words being next to each other. Yeah. So now not only does it have all that data that is trained on the internet, but now it has feedback from users. So when uh, OpenAI released this to the public and they said, everybody use it for free. What they did is they built significantly better guardrails and scaffolding to keep its responses in line with right. cultural norms or societal norms or whether you agree with ideologies on the left or the right. You know, trust me, there's tons of biases baked into this platform. Um, whether they're uh, uh, conscious or not is an entirely different debate. So not not the platform being conscious, but the people consciously yeah. implementing yeah. bias into the scaffolding. Right. So the growth has skyrocketed ex exponentially. So now the responses that you're able to get are, they are approaching a level of intellect that would, I would say, uh, probably rival the average IQ of the human being. It's not necessarily like at the bleeding edge of, cognitive capabilities yeah. as a human where i am able to process thousands of things and you know interpret strategy and evolve as something happens it's not there but the thought process is it is very quickly going to get there and then when it gets there it is going to exponentially grow beyond it so the logical argument is once it grows beyond that, how do you stop it? Because literally, I mean, humans have to eat, sleep, work out, and then deal with aging. Um, we simply cannot have the same amount of output as a machine can have. Right. And a machine can run all day, all night, as long as it's got electricity and there's nothing wrong with the computer components. So the thought process here is this is a very, very dangerous method of operation of operating because what happens when it gets to what they call artificial general intelligence or AGI, where the the level of intellect is indistinguishable from a human being. Right. So that's what they're concerned and that's what they're worried about is runaway. AI and specifically AGI because uh chat GPT is they're saying is AI. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a subset of AI with a large language model and a, a GPT. Why am I, uh, what do I not know what GPT stands for off the top of my head? Anyway, I'm it's, spacing on it. No worries. They can Google it. Uh, yeah, they can Google it. I should, <laughs> I should Google it. Processing text on anyway. Um, so that is where the thought process is at. And so it basically 
from my opinion and from the opinions of these leaders that you were referencing earlier, the irony is it's going to put white collar people out of jobs. Yeah. Blue collar folks. I mean, if you're not in like an assembly plant or manufacturing or something where robotics can easily take over your job, it's coming for you last (laughs) because, and here's, here's, Here's the beautiful irony of the entire thing, right? All of the smart people documented how to do everything with their jobs online. And now all of that information was used to train these models. And now guess what these models can do? They can do all of these white collar jobs. So in the future, I actually think, you know, software architects or software developers are going to be like, you know, um, not really that sought after of a job because somebody like myself or Curtis, my twin brother, who's a computer scientist, software architect, somebody who's more senior has experience. We're going to be able to use these tools to write the same amount of code that uh, it used to take us in a month, a month to do in a solid eight to 10 hour of work without interruption. We could probably do that in a single day. Because we would know the questions to ask it. We would tell it exactly what to do. We would let it know what libraries in, what what, pro, what um, development methodologies you mean, need, like don't repeat yourself or dry principles. Um, we would be able to have it manage its own integrations and we would be able to have it write its code to check its code when you publish it. That's known as... Um, like continuous integration and continuous deployment. Uh, so it pretty much allows you to become a 10Xer, which is sort of the term. And a 10Xer is like, if you are somebody who knows the interworkings of um, software development or, or these analytics platforms or these technical tools that you use and these uh, uh, AI tools are integrated with it, you should, in theory, know it, be able to know exactly the questions to ask it to get it to do all the work for you. And I'll give you a prime example. I was working on um, something that I had been wanting to do for a long time for our company internally. And one of the challenges of running a business and having 20 employees is you, you never have enough time to work on running and growing the business. And so... I wanted to do this financial reporting for us using a data visualization platform that we use. And uh, it had always, I had always known how I would do it. I just knew it was going to take me a significant amount of time to do, to write all of the, uh, these queries that interacted with each other, that got us this really important piece of financial uh, information we needed, which was like, who was, who are our best customers? Where did they first come from? How have they grown with us over time? How many lines of business have they worked with us with? And what is the original person in line of business that gets credit for bringing that that company to us? And a bunch of different uh, uh, delineations of questions are related to that. And with ChatGPT, I was able to do something that would usually have taken me about 10 to 12 hours to write it. I think I did it in about 35 minutes. Shit. Yeah, it was was wild. That's amazing. So when you get to the question of um, why is somebody like Elon Musk worried? Well, because it's going to, it's going to displace a lot of people. It's going to displace a lot of jobs. It's going to 
Make so no more learn sense. the code. Like no more, no more of that. No more learn the code when you're out of a job. Uh, your job. Uh, like, remember, you remember that one? Yeah, I remember <laughs> that one. We'll get there. It's it's really tough because yeah. the most important skill, ironically, to have is critical thinking and problem solving. And now armed with this tool, you being a jack of all trades and a master of none is now arguably the best thing that you could possibly have and be. CrossFit. CrossFit. <laughs> CrossFit for work. <laughs> That's funny. So the rise of the, you know, less than 10 person billion dollar companies, they're coming. That's and great. so what, we're going to have multi-billion dollar companies with less than, you know, 20 employees, right? I think back in the day, I, I, I don't, don't quote me on this, but I think it was like sometime in the middle 1900s to be a billion dollar company, you had to have over a thousand employees. Now we're talking yeah. maybe 10 or less. Um, so we well, talked I mean, about jobs. Okay, go ahead. And then I, I, I got a few follow-ups after you get done. Cause I know there's a, you got one more part of this question. Like why yeah, the, the job displacement, yeah. you know, is, um, that's, I think what Elon is worried about most and, uh, people need a sense of purpose, right? Yeah. Otherwise we'll see, um, health issues and suicide and other things become a, a pandemic making COVID look like, yeah, um, all that with that look 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 like nothing. Yeah, and so I think that's what he's he's really worried about, and 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 the government can't get ahead of this. And if they were able to get ahead of this, they would have PhDs and computer scientists and um, entrepreneurs and um, economists. They would have them all working together. People who are very technical in nature, understanding the implications of this because the jobs that AI is likely to produce are going to be low paying service jobs. They're going to be, you know, jobs of convenience, I believe. Uh, and so, you know, that's just something to consider. Uh, and it's, that's, it's going to displace jobs before it creates jobs because the market will be so new and it will be underdeveloped. Okay. Um, a couple of things to get back on. You mentioned before that the government, our government should have made sure that this stayed only in the U S is that even something that could have been possible or how would they have even done that? Cause isn't all well, this source, isn't that the, the definition of it, right? Is that anybody can access it? Well, that's the discussion and that's the debate right now is some internal memo memos from Google have been leaked and they basically said, we're getting crushed and open AI is going to get crushed too. Facebook released its, its model. I forget the name of it off the top of my head. I think it was Lambda or LLMD. Anyway, anyway I don't know, but it either got leaked or it got released in an open source fashion. And within a week, the amount of progress that that model had had for fine tuning it for very specific purposes, because teams of two and three people knew how to get really quality data and feed it through the model and then train the model and tell it what was wrong. And then teams of two or three people were basically multiplied by the population of the internet. And the growth of that model 
in a week had surpassed, I think, anything they had done in the last couple of years. And so Google had basically came out and said, our strategy, our methodology is a losing methodology, and we're not losing to um, open AI, and we won't lose to Microsoft. We will literally lose to the open public internet. And that open source is the only way to go in the future. And I think that that's right. I think that the only way to... Um, you know, uh, have a healthy AI future is going to be in large decentralized cells where should we have a rampant runaway AGI or artificial general intelligence that there will be other AGIs that haven't gotten off the rocker or off the leash uh, that will be able to uh, go and fight against it at a... Uh, at an equal level of playing field because a human trying to fight an AGI is a losing battle. There's no off switch. There's no off switch. Yeah. So uh, there's strength in numbers. I know, but that, I mean, that's the, because going back, you also said, you know, we should have all this collective, you know, you know, PhDs, et cetera, all this stuff working on the stuff that is going on, you know, not to talk about all the stuff that, you know, we, spoke about before but that's that is going on it's a very big problem and a lot of the problem comes down to what i mean what's always the problem in government and people getting people there how do you pay them how much do you yeah. no, it's up, upskilling right you can't afford them because why would i go work for the government for you know 150,000 if some random company out in silicon valley is going to give me 600 to do the same thing i mean you come down to dollars and cents at this point right and it's hard to tie a lot of those people who are coming in to, with that technological skill, that ability to do it. Let's be honest. A lot of them, they're not U.S. citizens. They don't have a loyalty to this government. They don't have a loyalty to this country. They come here because they have the ability and the freedom to work. But it's hard for them to pronounce some sort of loyalty to something that they don't, you know, that's a total foreign concept to them still. Yeah. And I, and I think what the other thing too, that the U S government doesn't realize is the nonsense that has been pushed over the last five to six years, um, specifically around disregarding, uh, science and facts and things that have been generally accepted principles over the last hundreds or thousands of years. Um, that's a huge turnoff to immigrants, especially immigrants that are of a more hardworking traditional culture. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, uh, the culture here in the United States is, uh, it's could be described as disincentivizing at best for those types of skilled labor. Yeah. The other thing too, is, you know, we, um, I think as a country, the debt is a large problem. And the corruption, greed, and money laundering through the, um, uh, uh, oh God, what was the term for? Uh, Ukraine? No. no, not Ukraine. It's the industrial military complex. Oh, okay. Well, you said money laundering. So I yeah. That well, that's where I was going with the money <laughs> laundering you know, and the industrial military complex in Ukraine is a synonym. But, um, you know, the thought process there is, you know, we had to be in a place where we were being responsible and we've been largely irresponsible, you know, from the federal government's perspective. And now I think this is going to seriously come back and bite them in the ass because they had a golden opportunity to be a leader here. And the only path and the only solution forward is 
that decentralized uh, governance and yeah. what that will largely lead people to understand is they don't need the federal government and they don't need government at all to help do these things for them. And they'll realize they'll need to be autonomous and their strength and numbers and small cells and teams on the internet. And I think that will paint the larger model and the larger picture for, um, you know, hands off um, because of everything that you had just mentioned, which is, um, you know, what is it saying? Like A's and B's go work for private companies and C's uh, uh, go work for the government and dropouts are the ones who hire the A's and B's. <laughs> the more you repeat it, the more it comes back to being the, you know, it's what's old is new again. Right. Cause that's true. I mean, that's that I've heard that growing up, you've heard it, you're younger than me. Like, so that's, that's reality, right? Like look at all these guys that we've learned uh, over the years who were just dropouts or they weren't good students or whatever, you, you know, you don't need to be some great student to become, to do what you do. You started a business, right? Most people aren't modeled that way. Let's just be honest. Most people are not modeled to start a business and that's not to discount how smart or whatever you and your brother are, but most people just want to go. I would say most people in the United States, they want security and they want to just go find a job, something they can go right out and do for the next 30 years, retire. And that's it. And then there's others with the entrepreneurial spirit, which is kind of built into the American fabric as well. It's just not as populated, right? You got 340 million people in this country. How many of them do you really think are the entrepreneurs? They're the entrepreneurs. Uh, not, not many. <laughs> yeah. I would argue less than probably less than 5% of that number, right? That would probably go and, and start companies and willing to do that risk and failure. And there's not a lot of people that are there. Most people are risk averse, I would say. At least when it comes to employment, there's a lot of things that people take risk with. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know. I would agree with that. You know, the, the thing that we were taught as kids was to go to college and, uh, you know, follow the A to G program and, you know, do as you're told. And my dad, he, he was always one to take risks. And I fundamentally believed that the riskiest thing you could do was to play it safe because to play it safe was to basically put your well-being in somebody else's hands, you know, and, uh, ignorance is bliss because, you know, if you were to just follow the rules and, you know, do as you're told and go get a job, you know, the irony is the person making rules can do something that's detrimental to your well-being or the person who hires you for the job can do something that's detrimental to your well-being. And so, um, at least in my mind, playing it safe was the riskiest thing you could do. Yeah. And I would argue that that clearly comes from your father, but most people don't have that experience or that mentality to draw on, I would say, because what you're describing to me sounds a lot like my best friend. All right. So my best friend I grew up with, he's still in Florida, commercial real estate, does very, very well for himself. Right. And by all accounts, like his father was, you know, um, kind of pushed that, that sort of mentality, I would say that mindset, you know, he wasn't what James ultimately went on to do, but he always kind of had his side business. He had his professional career, but I felt like he, based off of his grandfather as well, kind of pushed James to develop that mindset that you just described. And James was going one of two ways, right? <laughs> he may not like me telling this story, but it's, I'll, I'll tell the, the, the condensed version of it. So James used to get into a lot of trouble 
especially in high school. And James is still to this day, the smartest person I know gifted program, all that stuff, whatever metrics you could use for intelligence, James is off the fucking charts. Right. Uh, also a great athlete, like, and you know, sports kind of kept him online for a while, but then he, he got away from that and he hung out with a really bad crowd. And when he went to college initially, he was using his entrepreneurial spirit for the wrong things. And, <laughs> you know, his, his dad found out, well, what he found out was that he literally had a business plan, like a whole detailed business plan about how, how he was going to be able to pull off all of these things that I'm not going to get into detail on. Right. And then he found the army. He went to Italy for three years and he got his life straightened out. And now he came back and used that entrepreneurial spirit for good. And now, like I said, does very, very well for himself in the commercial real estate world. But yeah, I mean, that's the example of what I know, but I wasn't like that. Like I, my parents are, you know, retired nurse, retired corrections officer, right? Like they work their ass off. They're, you know, they're, they're smart people in their own world, but they were never of the, uh, Hey, let's go start a business. Let's go take these risks and all that. Cause they, they weren't risk seeking people. They were seeking security for my brother and I, right. Which that's what I argue is most of this country. I would argue the same thing too, you know, the traditional American dream, which I think was largely maintainable and they, yeah, they've done attainable. it. Attainable. It's, it's not attainable for us now at this point without doing more of what you're saying, I would say. Yeah. You know, you definitely have to take risk. Yeah. And I, I think uh, fortune does favor the bold, but the thought that this comes from my father is definitely the truth. I, I, I don't think there's anything far from that. And I was very fortunate to have a mentor. His name was Cliff, Cliff Stanwick. Uh, he was a, a luxury real estate agent here where we grew up in Northern California. Gig. And um, he found us through uh, my business partner at the time was working for this uh, media company. And he, the CEO of that media company, he was the one that sold him the real estate. And he had some ideas in real estate that he wanted to do. And so the uh, the guy who was Cliff's client introduced him to Wally, who introduced him to us. And he sort of mentored us for the first three to four years starting our business. And awesome. yeah, that was really how we got our start was uh, selling our services to his really rich clients, right? And that's just the truth. That's I mean, not bad. we worked hard and, and we yeah. made it and we figured out how to you know generate our own clients. But the reality was we had a mentor. And I think that you know, outside of just That's having a, a, a solid role figure like a father to take risks, you know, uh, young men need mentors just as you know, young women do too as yeah, well. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and so that I would say that's, that is uh, paramount in being able to take risks because assessing risk is just important as taking it. Oh yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, so there's one thing that, that, that I had one last follow up on on what we were talking with, and I don't know how related this is. I know it's just something I've heard up recently that is another huge concern. And maybe you know more about Well, I know you know more about this than me, but if you don't be like, I've never heard of that. But if you do, could you expound on what exactly is quantum computing and why is that something our government is so scared of at this point? <laughs> Because they are. <laughs> so, uh, well, you, I mean, you work at the Pentagon, right? So you what? might know. Yeah. Well, do you? I don't freaking know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You do something. You live in Washington, D.C. Oh, shit. No, I don't. Oh. I live in Arlington, Virginia, right there. Oh. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on the free side of the river for now. Oh, sorry, man. I just had a cramp. Did you get a cramp? <laughs> like, see what happens? You mentioned the Pentagon, and all of a sudden, they use that direct energy thing you were asking about right on you. <laughs> it's a direct energy weapon <laughs> on my hamstring. See, this is why you got to drink bourbon, friends. You're always hydrated because it's made with water. Jim. Oh, mountains over there. He's too busy getting shredded for racing season. Yeah, unfortunately, the uh... every pound counts in that car, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every pound does because I'm, you know, six two. I'm a meathead. Um, yeah, you're a big boy. You're not a small guy. That's for sure. Uh, so, but... yeah, you can probably see some more of the pictures now. And I got my helmets over <laughs> on the side, and I'm going to stand up that way. My hamstring—that's the first cramp in like 90 episodes ever. So, congratulations on that. And it was a good one. I mean, it, I was like ready to get on the ground, you know, and say, "Hold on, we got to just put <laughs> tap this on pause." <laughs> so, you were asking about quantum computing before I, I was. the Pentagon smited me with their <laughs> infinite, infinite DARPA skills yeah. and abilities. Um, quantum computing is really a paradigm shift like chat gpt is a paradigm shift in the world of yeah. the or, or in the perception of the world's view of ai quantum computing effectively makes our current security for computers null and void and that is why it is such a big deal so quantum computing means that in theory, okay, and there's going to be plenty of kooks out there if they watch your let's be, or, you know, there will be bourbon podcasts. They're going to call me out on this because it's scientifically wrong, but explaining it to layman's people, this is the easiest way to yeah, explain it, okay? So quantum computing basically makes the computing abilities of a computer near infinite, Okay. And right now uh, we're on a, let's just say we're on some really good computers, right? It is hundreds of times better, if not more. So in theory right now, it would take a computer about 30 years to crack the encryption of AES 256 bit encryption. Okay. And that is generally what we use in the world. And that is a uh, generally accepted standard of security for uh, encryption. Basically, that's why they say, hey, is your computer encrypted? Is your iPhone encrypted? Right. What that means is all the data on it is encrypted with an algorithm, right? And it's a mathematical equation that our computers and their computing power, it would take them 30 years to complete that mathematical equation. So think of them as a large wow. calculator. Yeah. So quantum computing could basically solve that mathematical equation at a near snap of a finger. So quantum computing is a large threat because if the military or federal governments or financial institutions or banking systems are using AES 256-bit encryption and their networks are publicly accessible via the internet, which some of them are, some of them are air-gapped, meaning uh, they uh, don't have any access to the internet and you have to physically plug into it right. to get onto that network. Um, that is why quantum computing is such a threat. And so it would basically make all of the world's information accessible and near real time to anyone who gets it first. 
And that also means that those computers could, in theory, be able to brute force or overwhelm systems to get into them if they didn't have sophisticated uh, risk and threat detection and threat management systems in place. Because you got to think about it like this. Um, you got a lot of military guys, I think, that would watch this. And, um, you know, the the missile defense system yep. that we have that uh, Israel uses and everything else. Yeah, the Iron Dome. The Iron Dome. Thank you. You're welcome. Imagine sending so many missiles at the Iron Dome that it physically does not have the capability to shoot them all down. Some of them are going to get through. Um, that's what quantum computing could do to uh, security or threat mitigation techniques or uh, uh, risk uh, mitigation strategies. It would essentially just overwhelm the system until it got in. Um, and then it would also be able to decrypt everything in uh, near real time. Basically, meaning whoever gets it first could control the world. But we're not putting quantum computing in charge of the defense of that as well. Like, you, you, I know you mentioned the this two fifty six encryption or whatever. That's like what we operate on. We haven't decided. Hey, here's a counter to this super high tech, super fast ability to crack all that. Well, the problem is you have to be able to encrypt and decrypt, right? So. Okay. If I send you a message and it's an encrypted email, right? You have to have the key right. to um, decrypt that, right? Yeah. And so you can't make these things ridiculously hard to decrypt even with a key because, uh, well, it would just be um, inefficient. Yeah. Right. For it, for it to operate, so there's there there's there's many use cases here, and uh, I haven't I haven't followed it that much to know who's leading or what, but I would imagine, you know, this is a DARPA project. I would imagine DARPA is involved with our technology companies. And, and, and to be totally honest, this is, this is where, you know, I think Elon was really going with the whole, the government needs to regulate AI is, you know, Nvidia makes most of its chips in Taiwan. Yeah. And Nvidia is, is arguably the leader in chip manufacturing and NVIDIA is at the point where they're actually using artificial intelligence to design their next chips. So they got them so optimized with human intelligence that then they started to train their AI models to build chips more efficiently and faster because they had variables that they wanted it to improve. And they said, here are all the things that you could do to improve those variables. And now NVIDIA has an AI that is building its own chips or designing its own chips, I should say, largely autonomously of, of human intervention until it gets to the point where it thinks it has a legitimate product. And then uh, I'm, I'm just speculating here, but then it would go through a human review. Yeah. Those chips are made in Taiwan. Well, what's this happening? This is why we right care now? about China, right? Well, what's, what's happening in Taiwan right now? Yeah. Okay. So, if Taiwan has all of these factories and all of the machinery to make these types of chips, suddenly it's of interest in, for China. Mm. And it's really close to home. So nationalism, imperialism, whatever the fuck you want to call it, um, strategic advantage. Yeah. Um, it's why we kept all of our military bases after World War II. Yeah. So why the U.S. government hasn't been 
saying, NVIDIA, you got to bring all of this over to the states and we're going to subsidize it. So it's not an impact to consumers and it's not an impact to your bottom line is that is like, it is beyond, it is beyond my total thought process. Like I, I, if I was the president of the United States, I would say, you know, fuck your feelings on social issues and I'll put people in place to deal with that. I'm, I'm going to go focus on the things that matter, which is going to be um, technology independence, energy independence, and not getting actual into necessary wars. Issues. Yeah, there you go. Right. Actual national security issues. I like that. You're, you're too young still to run for president, but when you're ready, I think we're yeah. going to something. <laughs> you can make a donation at Morty.win. Yes. Yeah, Morty.win. <laughs> He's got his pack set up for the next, what, 2032. He'll be ready to go. Yeah, I think I'm going to start off with like city council. Yeah. Start, so I, small, start, I mean, like I said, yeah. small wins. You're in, a, you're in the right county. Or the, I mean, you're in the wrong state, but you're in the right county. So, you know, that's true. That easy win. Uh, I, I can agree with that. That's good. And so, um, those are the things that I think about. And then there's another piece in there that there's a company out of the Netherlands, and they're the ones that make the actual machines that make the chips. Uh, and that's why we're real hanky panky with the Netherlands. And why, you know, we're very much in each other's hip pockets because that is the Netherlands' number one uh, most important asset from a uh, – um, uh, God, what is it? What is the word they always use? National security. Yeah. Yeah. That's their number one asset for national security. It's their number one leverage in bargaining. Um, and so if you just look at that – as Americans, I would be going, why the fuck do we allow those things to be made in the Netherlands? And why are we allowing the company that makes the most performant chips to do their manufacturing on those machines in a country that is arguably right next to the Chinese mainland? So Netherlands went from making ships 400 years ago and being the best in the world at that. And now they're the best at ships, chips, robotics chips. to make, to chips make computer to chips. chips, ships to chips. Yeah. It's crazy. Sounds like a good dinner. It does. They got good food over there. I hear. I haven't been. I mean, I, I I've been there. Have you? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's like the best food, but it is very tasty food. It's uh that's a win. It's, a lot of it is fried. A lot of it's yeah, I did potatoes. Say <laughs> right. Well, a lot of that part of Europe, you gotta yeah. But it's it's I a understand. good type of sourcing of ingredients. You know, it's not a bunch of bullshit. Like bitter ballin is definitely very good. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. like a that's like if macaroni and mashed potatoes had a baby and they fried it in a deep fryer. Oh yes, that's it's really good. That. Let's do that. I might do that this weekend. <laughs> that's good. Uh, yeah. That, so and that is you know. And I, and I don't want to take this too far down the, the national security road, but man, I, I know I, I know this is some of the things that come up in our, our softball chat randomly, but man, we, you give us, not saying you, but I say most people give our government way too much credit. You know, they just they don't assume that we have the best and the brightest on the <laughs> working in our interest at the uh, upper levels because we just don't. We have, no, we have people, career politicians right. who have we found have the people out who want it. to be there and they they've stayed there. And so they, they naturally at some point have to move on. I I've done it. Do the line of secession for the president. Just do the next 15 people that are in the line of secession. Just tell me what you think of them when you're bored. Don't do it right now. Cause we're talking, but yeah, when you're bored and you want to go down the rabbit hole before you fall asleep, 
Just look at the next 14, 15 people that fall in that line of secession after Biden. It's so infuriating. And the reason why it is so infuriating to me is because I I, I fundamentally believe that most people are, are reasonable. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I would say that the political class, both parties, yep. um, they have found a way to turn being into government as a way to generate a large amount of financial wealth and be able to build an elite status. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would largely say that it's a byproduct of building the best economy in the world and building arguably one of the best places to live. Right. And no um, term limits. Yeah, all of that's a byproduct of, of yep. the two things I feel like that I just mentioned because, you know, it's so hard to get people to care about leadership or how the country's being ran when, you know, they turn on the spigot and fresh water comes to the yeah. to their hands. And, Amazing. you know, the grocery store is five minutes around the corner and, Everything you know, you in want. California or very urban environments, you know, you can go to Whole Foods and feel good about eating vegan, although that's terrible yeah. for you. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, that's why I think we have so much nonsense in our culture because the, so yeah, everything is easy. And there's so much convenience that we literally have an abundance of time to think about stupid things. And because, Nobody's having to deal with largely challenging ideas or physically demanding um, tasks to have basic survival needs met, whether it's shelter or food or security, you know, basic principles of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, We've allowed the um, inferiors and unintellectuals to get to the top portions of Maslow's hierarchy of needs where they're thinking about spirituality and they're thinking about um you're describing the fall of rome man like this is this is how rome fell it's the same thing people just got bored and they started doing all the dumb shit that we're doing now yeah we're not unique like i I love that everyone's oh it's not gonna happen to the united states really like where the fuck did you get off and think that we're like the one great civilization that's not gonna experience a decline like i mean you're describing rome at the end yeah but i would i would arguably say that we're describing every country in the world that's a first world country yeah. But not no one's at this level, I would say. No one's experiencing what we're experiencing, I would argue. Yeah, I, I would so I many generally, people involved. I would generally say that's the case, but you know, when you look at just sheer population, we're child's play compared to India and China. Yeah, but I mean quality of life is also not really equitable to those other two countries. You got a real superior class and the the rest of the people. It's hard to take care of a billion and a half people. It really is. Yeah. I mean, Um, mean, we have 330 million people and, you know, there's a, um, and and I, and some people would say this is cynical, but, you know, there's always bad apples, right? So what's the percentage of having a bad apple? That's that's free will. That's what it gets you. You get the opposite. That's a good Right. Is it 1%? Is it a 10th of a percent? Okay. So 1% out of a hundred would be one person. A 10th percent would be, um, a 10th of a percent would be one out of every thousand. So you figure we got what? 330 million people here, right? There's a lot of bad apples. There's a, there's a couple million bad apples. Yeah. It's, 
take a look at all the prisons. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not just them. And then take a look at here's my thing. This is, you know, like, and this kind of falls into your world because you know we're we're talking about AI and computers and 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 all this stuff. And then the downside of that gets into like the scamming, the phishing, the spearing, and all like all the stuff that people do to go after people's security, their data, their money, all that stuff financially through internet targeting, right? So there's someone who's a, clearly a very bright individual who's chosen to just be a fucking asshole and to take advantage of people who don't know any better, right? So there, there's your bad apples in the modern world, right? It's not just like the guy who wants to hang out on the street corner and look for a weak target to rob. Those people still exist. But now we've moved, we've we've high-classed it up a bit, right? Now we got the guys who sit on the corner of the internet looking to rob somebody. Oh, Yeah. No questions about it. Now, the other thing that I'd say too is we, if we, if we set a 10th of a percent of the population at 350 million, you know, that's 350,000, right? People are, are roughly bad people. And now if you look at just states by population, I mean, that would be like saying half of North Dakota is inherently a bunch of all the bad people. I mean, what happens when, if all these people congregate or we got 50 states, you know, um, that roughly can put shit, 7,000 people. I mean, 350,000 uh, divided by 50 states. Yeah, about 7,000 of these crazy people in every state. You know, that's a lot of people. That That's in some cases a whole a whole small town. You know, and and now they can go and cultivate these nonsensical ideas and go capture the um, weak. I shouldn't say weak-minded, but those who are easily influenced, or like the, like we talked about earlier, those are who are needing a mentor or a strong role model. Soft targets, yeah. yeah. Right, easy targets. Yep. Um, you know, so so these things are concerning, but I think they've always existed in some form or oh, another. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I just think that the the age that information, you know, carries and uh, travels is just, it's significantly faster. And, you know, uh, maybe, just maybe, we have reached our capabilities as a species. I have argued, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, because I know, again, you're younger, um, I don't I don't know how much younger, but I think you're like 10 years younger, right? So you, you've definitely experienced the world differently for me but you've also experienced a lot of the same things at an age where you were old enough to kind of figure out and know what was going on so i think you're in a good age you're very different than someone who's 20 21 years old right who just they they grew up in a post 9-11 world where you didn't and where i grew up when it happened and it was a very like okay what am i going to do next type of thing right yeah so i bring that up because it's If we believe the 50s, the 60s, all of those technological advancements that took place, whether it was putting a man in space, then it was landing on the moon, then it was, you know, the evolution of the space age. And then you see now to where I can hold this and I've got everything, all of human history, anything I want to access at any given time right here. And yet I would argue this while it should have made us 
a much more smarter species, as you've just described, we should be, but we're not. I'd argue that because we have so much at our fingertips and accessible at any given time, it's made us intellectually lazy and not the, not, not the opposite where it's like, oh, you want, I, I've said this again, I know I'm going to go on a tangent here, but I took my daughter to the Sacramento library several years back because I wanted to show her the Dewey Decimal System. She had no idea what that was. Right. So I was like, no, the Dewey Decimal System is like you used to have to go to a library and you had to know what book you wanted to look for. You had to know where to find the author's name and then you had to write it down and you had to go and actually pull it from the shelf. And she's just like, it was a, it was a foreign fucking concept to her. And I was like, all right, we're gonna, I'm going to go show you physically how to do this. And then what do you know? It doesn't even exist at the Sacramento library. Right. Anyway, but I was able to explain it. So my point is. I would agree with you 100% that we've we've peaked and we've done it to ourselves, though. We, we haven't like created or or lost access to information. We've given ourselves so much that maybe we just refuse to acknowledge or access the stuff that we need to to continue the, the climb. And we're just like, oh, well, can't get much better. We'll just wait for the new iPhone to come out. Yeah, I would argue that we are we're at this very interesting time where we have surpassed probably what the means of our biology were really meant to do. I would say that, you know, the, the COVID pandemic or pandemic, you know, depending on, you know, who's, who's listening <laughs> and, and what their thoughts are on it. Um, Most are know, on your side. Don't worry. Prove that, you know, how dare you label me, but mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, did you just assume what side I was on. Though? Yeah. You just, you just <laughs> assumed what side I was on. Um, don't label me or this interview's <laughs> over. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> the point I was trying to make was, you know, the pandemic largely brought out the importance of, uh, um, you know, having community and, and being healthy. And I think that the abundance of information, right, and knowledge that's at our fingertips had taken us biologically away from what is important to us as mammals inherently. That's deep down in the uh, evolution of our DNA. And to get to your point, you know, just because we have access to information and all this knowledge, that's not wisdom. Wisdom is arguably what people need more than anything else. Wisdom is going to come from experience, mentorship, role models, um, and critical thought and strategy and planning, and then execution on top of that. And so when I consider you know, where are we at? I think if you looked back at any point in time in history, they would make a very similar argument to what it is that you're making, whether it was with encyclopedias or whether it was with the internet or whether it was with cars or, you know, whatever else. Um, The reality I think is that, you know, do we have a constant ability to maintain our biological humanity? And, you know, what is that level of importance? Because, you know, uh, the, the fundamental irony of our past is that through becoming better, we will either make ourselves uh, extinct by basically becoming cyborgs where robots, robots are downloading our we consciousness. Are, we already have the reproduction declining in many right. countries. Yeah. yeah. And... 
That's an entirely different issue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let, let's let's yeah, let's <laughs> but but you, you you get where I'm going here. Yeah, I do. I do. The the reproductive issues I think are um that's a very interesting conversation. I think it is financial obligations and the fact that we don't teach um finance as a skill set broadly across the world that's so and, weird to me i've never understood why like it's kind of like you either are drawn to finance or you have to go figure it out for yourself like no one no one taught me that shit my parents weren't going to teach me because they didn't know you know my brother's done really well because he's took a real an interest in that and he's educated himself on that but i largely don't know shit for the most part from most people i know basics but yeah i think you're, you're onto something with like yeah well we don't need to tell you about money or any of that well, stuff. Finance is power. Finance yeah. is control, yeah. right? Finance is freedom. And so, you know, if you look at those who have been in power, they seek to retain it. And those yeah. who don't have power seek to obtain it. And it's this um, battle that has been forever fought in the history of our species. And so, um, Gold, silver, fiat currencies, largely dubbed as finance, uh, has has been uh, a, a way to control that. And you think about, you know, the thing about we or we think about what we spoke of earlier, where we said, you know, taking risk is probably the the least risky thing to do. And why do not a lot of people do that? Because they don't have good role models, or it's not taught well. The system was not really ever built to create free thinkers, right? Yeah. Free thinkers, I believe, and and entrepreneurs were the byproduct of, um, you know, this experiment in democracy that we call the United States. I think that largely the education system was meant to mold um, law-abiding citizens and rule about rule-following yeah. citizens, you know, to keep the machine going, because. Uh, there's order and organization and there's chaos and disorganization. It's like you walk into somebody's house, that's all messy and everything else. You immediately start to feel uncomfortable. You know, if you walk into somebody's house and um, things are organized and there's a place for everything, you know, you feel a lot more confident and relaxed being there. And I think that that's a good point. It's a good analogy. It's the same. Yeah. I want to, I, cause we're, we, we, we stumbled in the finance. So I just, I'm, I'm just curious. Do, what do you, where do you, where do you come down on the whole, you know, the digital currency thing, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's Dogecoin, whatever the million fucking coins, do you think this stuff is sustainable and legit, or is this just, you know, a little modern day snake oil where some people are going to get wealthy on it, but for the most part, it's no, there's no place long-term for this stuff. Cause if you cut out government, how do you get any sort of, uh, you know, regulation of course, but also, um, how do you back it? How do you, how do you, uh, God, what's the word I'm looking for? How do you guarantee it if it's some sort of financial deposit and investment that you've made, or is it just, you know, Hey, you invest at your own risk type of thing? Well, there were many questions packed into that, but the first one was, what, is, what, are, what are my <laughs> thoughts on, um, digital currencies? Yeah. Um, so specifically what we'll call DeFi or decentralized finance, um, most items or most tokens or NFTs built on yeah. top of the Ethereum blockchain is riddled with fraud. Um, 
And largely, I would say there's a lot of predatory practices in there. Um, but it's rooted in a very, very good solution to the problem of irresponsible governments and central banks. Okay. So the fundamental premise is you have a store of value that you don't need anything tangible but the internet. And you could move your money across borders and across countries and nobody could control that and nobody could devalue that. Um, who's a government tax it. Yeah. or tax it. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there is, that's a very, that's a very attractive uh, marketing pitch, right? Yeah. That's very attractive. However, like anything else, the devil's in the details. And so you look at the FTC going after Binance here in the United States, yep. saying that they're offering basically an illegal security exchange, or I don't know the exact lingo, don't quote me, but they're aggressively going after Binance. And what I was reading about it was basically saying that most of the volume in crypto is what is being done by the large hedge funds in the stock market hmm. where they are literally trading cryptocurrencies and microtransactions to each other. And they are driving volume of trades and they are moving the prices um, in some way that aligns with their interests or they have an incentive to do so. And when you start to understand that, the whole thought process of crypto is 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 free of people controlling it, the reality is it is totally not. The large exchanges and the people who create the coins and the tokens outside of Bitcoin, um, they have the same fundamental problems. They're just hidden in the shadows. And so... If I was uh, looking at a digital currency, I would I would only be looking at Bitcoin. But even then, the largest holders of Bitcoins are these exchanges and uh, what they generally call whales. And mm -hmm. they have an incentive to control the market if they have a large volume of the Bitcoin that's available. And they can um, have an arrangement between parties to drive the prices back up and forth. And they really have no skin in the game. They're just yeah. creating volume. And so yeah. this is the same problem that we have with uh, hedge funds in the stock market with options and shorts. Uh, this is the whole saga that you saw with, you saw with GameStop where yeah. basically so crazy to me. they shorted uh, Melvin Capital, shorted more shares than were publicly available of GameStop. And so when you realize that that is totally illegal, it's called a naked short. A short, uh, An option basically says one person owns a stock and they're willing to make a bet that the price isn't going to move in another way. And somebody else goes and says, I'll take that bet. Here's the money up front. And if it goes the way the person who owns the stock thinks it's going to go, they get to keep that money. But then if it goes the opposite way, yeah then they're obligated to sell those shares to the person who purchased the option. Um, or the, uh, that person can sell that option to somebody else who would then have the right to purchase those shares from the person who originally owned them. Well, that's what the whole GameStop saga was. 
was Reddit with Wall Street Bets figured out that Melvin Capital didn't Street have bets. didn't have all of those shares. Yeah. And so they convinced all of the retards on the internet and they, they call themselves re, they call themselves retards. It's not yeah, so, this is not Alan calling yeah. anybody a retard. Right. This is what they literally call themselves, <laughs> you know, dumb money and retards. And they went and bought up all the shares of GameStop and refused to sell. And that's why you had these crazy swings of 20, 30% because now guess what was happening? The total amount of volume of shares was so incredibly low that they were having to spend ridiculous amounts of money to purchase the price because the people who had them who were willing to sell them were saying, this is the only price we're willing to sell it at. Well, they're obligated from that short because they got to pay out that person those shares so in so many days. And what they found out was that they didn't give them the shares in so many days. Melvin Capital would have to start paying penalties and interest on top of that. And that's how they lost, I don't know how many tens of billions of dollars. God. But yeah. that was how this whole thing went down. And so now to answer your question, I think digital currencies are just as fucked as fiat currencies. <laughs> <laughs> and now you know why. Yeah, I mean, I know why. I just there's a lot of that stuff that just it's it's like it's just over my head, you know. Like, I think but have people made a lot of money with it? Yes, absolutely. I know people who have made yeah, boatloads of money with it. But you got and, it out while you can, right? You can't. You do you think it's long term holding? Uh, I know people who have lost boatloads of money on yeah, it too, was, as well. Yeah, I do too. Unfortunately, like a and, lot. <laughs> and so, I, I I think it's like anything else. You need a healthy, and I, again, I'm not a financial, I don't, I don't provide financial advice. I'm not your fiduciary. Yeah, right, right. But, you know, you have to determine what's your level of risk and what assets do you want to hold and, um, you know, what is your investment outlook? And I, th those are generally things to consider. But I think the question you were really getting at is what do I think of USDC, US dollar coin or no, the central bank's version of a digital currency is I think what you were getting at. I think it's a fucking terrible idea. I think it is the worst idea. You've seen how the government handled the pandemic yeah. and you see how they blatantly lied to people and you've seen how cozy and in bed they are with the pharmaceutical industry and how the Democrats used to be the, I will, argue, I would, I will generally say this. The Democrats used to be the party of logic and reason and freedom. Yeah. Right. And, and nonsense have changed for sure. And over COVID they became uh, the party of, nonsense and the party of censorship and of the warhawks now which is weird and it, <laughs> and the war yeah and warhawks it, it's like what happened you know and so my point is if it can change that quick the party of logic and reason and progressivism can lose their minds and start censoring people it's really not that far-fetched to say hey, if we have a central digital currency and they implemented ESG score because ESG score because Soros's son has billions and billions of dollars, and he wants to, um, you know, make it to where these large public companies can't get financing unless their ESG scores are in a certain area or a certain rating. And so to get these ESG scores, they got to start pushing all this green nonsense and everything else. And I'm not a climate denier, but I'm just saying a lot of the things that they push in relation to it are nonsense. And so 
now to do that, they're saying, oh, you know, you can only fly so much when all these people are going to Davos and the World Economic Forum. Yeah, they exactly. do what they want on their private jets. But yeah. now you're you, you're using a centralized currency from the United States government and you go to purchase your second airline ticket in three months and they go, I'm sorry, you can't do that because you're killing you're already flown to, Yeah, you've, <laughs> you've already flown too much for the year. That's funny. Like this isn't that far fetched. It's not. No, you're right. It's 100 percent right. I mean, we're still paying 9/11 taxes. If you ever look at your itemized fucking airline ticket, 9/11 security fee, you still pay that. How fucking fucked up is that? When does that, that go away? I mean, it's like when I was in Cal- going out to the restaurants with Napo. It's like, oh, I'm going to pay the COVID tax. Like, when does that stop? I don't even think it has because when I was last out before I moved. That COVID fucking surcharge was still on receipts in downtown now. It's ridiculous. It's just a like it's like anything else. Taxes or the biggest that's lie. government, they never go away. They're there forever. Well, this is why we should be very skeptical about giving the government any form of power because they have not proven they have a track record to give it up or to give it back. If anything, they've proven they have a track record to ask for more and continue to be irresponsible. And who's and been I think, the biggest violator of that since post 9-11? It's the fucking Republican Party. I've said this a million the, times it's on it's this. It's the Republican Party, 100%. Patriot Act, TSA, Department of Homeland Security. You think any of right. them are going away? No. No. How about Another bitching and complaining military that- military force from 2001 that we're still using against to go bullshit around the fucking Middle East? No one cares because, oh, well, it's already there. We already voted on that 20 years ago. Dude, I had a buddy who was special forces in the Air Force. He was part of the Halo team, the high altitude, low opening guys. Actually, I don't know if it was Air Force or what it was, but he was. He's pararescue. Yeah, pararescue. Yeah. He was telling me the countries he was in and the shit they were doing. I'm like, those are not countries we are actively engaged in skirmishes with. He goes, oh, no, it's a blah, black op shit. Oh, yeah. It's all there. It was great. Like, uh, and I mean, like these these are countries that like you would go to vacation to. Yeah, and he's all like, "Oh yeah, we were in combat there for eight hours, like full blown gunfights, everything else, and boom, got the fuck out." That's how I broke yeah. both my shoulders. Yeah, well, I mean, America's not ready for the conversation of what their special operations forces are doing. No, the only but thing there's that- also not enough of them to keep doing the shit that we ask them to do. They're just, you know. They're, they're 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 when I when I break down like when someone asks me hey what are, what are the special forces what are they? I'm like okay well you know what I want you to imagine a pro sports team or a pro sports league right anybody can play baseball anybody can play basketball or football there's only one percent of one percent that get to the NFL to the Major League Baseball to the NBA and that's our special forces community. All right. So what that tells you is the rest of your conventional forces are plentiful. There's a lot of people like you and I, Alan, that go and we play fucking softball once a week. Okay. However, how many, how many professional baseball players are there in the world? How many professional football players? All right. That's what you're dealing with in terms of numbers, right? Not a lot. And the things that we ask them to do constantly, continuously for the last 22 plus years in this whole global war on terror bullshit that we've been immersed in for the last post 9-11 like i said it's not sustainable and a lot of those guys probably like your buddy who's probably your age if not younger or older a lot of those guys are at the point where they've dealt with this their entire career and they're starting to feel like i am all right 
you're you're starting to create a jaded individual who's watched their government literally lie to them. Yeah, they've watched the failure in the Afghanistan withdrawal in August of 2021. They've watched failure and lie after lie sold under the guise of national security, and there's a moment where at some point these people are going to stop playing the game and you're not going to have anyone behind them because we already have that issue. That's a real thing. Like the, the recruiting issues are already real, but now you're going to start losing the guys you've spent and invested so much in over the last 20 years because they're getting out. Well, and largely not only are they getting out, but they're, we we abuse our special operators, oh, and we it's, we it's not and, and, it's not it's yeah it's not we we abuse in in, in the term uh, or in the in the definition of overuse yeah and the thing is is America doesn't have the appetite for war and there are a lot no, of fucking bad people out there and there are a lot of bad cells and not just bad governments but generally you know in second and third world countries there are militias and there are groups that are. You know, we're not we're, we're not ready for a near peer conflict and and the stuff that they push on the American public we're not, we're not ready I hate to say this but we're not you know we're we're pushing the gender equality and all this shit and uh, you know we're pushing a bunch of nonsense we're not ready to see a lot of the shit unfold in real time where you know women are getting captured and you're you're the the worst possible scenarios you can mention are unfolding live on fucking CNN and Fox News America's not ready for that no they're not because America's full of a, a too many soft people who are it's true. um unhealthy <laughs> Uh, both physically and mentally, and they couldn't handle the truth. They couldn't. I mean, the government's worried about you know JFK and nine eleven and UFOs. It's like, yeah, okay, we knew our government probably had a hand in you know dealing with nine eleven. The guy who owned the two buildings miraculously, like two weeks before nine eleven happened, took out an insurance policy that just so happened to include terrorism when that was never a thing. And got paid out like, you know, some ridiculous amount of billions of dollars. And by the way, he always ate, you know, breakfast on the top floor. But this day, mysteriously, he just wasn't happened to be there. And, you know, there's so many coincidences like that, um, like that video Windows of the and, world. I was I was in that restaurant on September 9th. Yeah. And so, you know and so yeah. And so you, 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 you get it. You're there. And it's like the day it's before nuts. 9-11, they go, hey, we have two point six trillion dollars missing, missing for hey. the military budget. I'm just yelling at Frank. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> and then all of a sudden where all those records were held in the Pentagon just blows up. You know, there's, there's way too many things here that are circumstantial uh, for a, for a reasonable and logical person to not go, you know, and ask some questions. But the thought process is those are child. That is child's play in comparison to what the real world is like and the fact that real evil is out there. Oh yeah. You know, folks on their smartphones here in our nice, beautiful first world country, they think tyranny is misgendering somebody. They think tyranny is, um, you know, uh, using the wrong pronouns in an email or something. feeling guilty for, you know, being born a certain way Yeah. Oh, there's or, or making a lot of money. No, no. Tyranny is, you're going to get your hand cut off or your family's going to get killed because you said something or, you know, they're going to take their, your children from you and they're going to turn them into militias and the people you won't even know or recognize, or they're going to take your daughter and uh, they're going to sell them into sex trafficking. Yep. Um, you know, th there are some 
brutal and horrific things, I would just encourage you to go on 4chan and go take a look at some of those things. I mean, God, just go look well, at that. I, the, I mean, the, the real world, and like I said, I, I've been blessed to experience over 21 countries in this planet, right? And And I've seen some really stupid and really evil shit. And I've always said that for the most part, most of the problems that Americans pretend to, to feel that they're experiencing are self-created. 100%. Self-created. Like, we have everything and anything that we could possibly want and do, and we'd rather sit around doing what you just said and just, oh, you misgendered me, or you, you know, you won't refer to me by my preferred, you know, pronouns, or you, you know, you, 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 you spoke mean about me on the internet. Like, these are things that are just not tangible for a lot of countries on this planet and we're, we're a very insulated and spoiled society and we're also not ready for a lot of the things that we think are out there on the horizon and the only way to get back to that point is to experience them i'm afraid of so yeah and that's real life that's the point of being is. a human is to I do mean, tough is to do tough things and have a sense of accomplishment and you know toxic yeah. masculinity is anything no such but. thing there's no such right? thing. It's just masculinity. There's no such thing as toxic masculinity. What I find is the older I get and the more people I talk to, look, we all have our ways and our preferences and our ideas and on what makes us happy and how we would like to live. But I have never met somebody who hasn't had a sense of sort of a biological role within them either a mm. protector or a provider yeah. or a nurturer or, um, you know, uh, somebody who's really caring. And, and the irony is that those do align with your biological sex. You know, the, the, over time, they, they do tend to align with them. And the fact that we disincentivize and we sort of demoralize those feelings and the development of those skills um is truly troubling. You know, uh, we basically have taught uh, young children to hate their race, hate their gender, hate their country. And that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, that's not sustainable either. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a recipe for disaster. It's actually one of the reasons why, like, I'm seriously considering, um, you know, starting to get involved in the politics because the thought process is, you know, well, why would you want to get involved in the politics or, um, you know, nobody's willing to. It's like, well, that's the perfect reason that's, why. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm with you. hundred percent. I agree. I would encourage you to do that, especially where you're at. You're in a, you're in a, a position to be successful. You know, you're yeah. not, you're not in San Francisco, I would say where it's like, well, I mean, you can try and be a disruptor, but it's probably not going to work out. Right. You're at least no, in I'm, I'm going to be hyper local. Yeah. Well, you can, and that's, what's most important, right? What I, I, I had a buddy who, who says this all the time. Um, most important politician you can vote and elect in your life is your local County Sheriff. Cause what they can do and the power that they can exercise on the externally is more than and greater than any other politician you'll vote for. Yeah. And that's what people don't even care about. They're, they they get so consumed with the thoughts of, oh, it's Trump versus Biden. It's like you might want to look a little further down the local line before you really worry about two old guys yelling and screaming at each other who are going to call themselves president. Because there's a lot more people along the way that have direct impact over your life than them. 
Yes, I agree a hundred percent. And I was just talking to a guy at work about this topic and you know, he's a hardcore Democrat and he literally told me, he goes, you know, uh, Democrats are the, are the party of logic and reason. I said, maybe they used to be, yeah. but um, you know, not anymore. And I, per I proceeded to tell him the things of the last three years that were just nonsensical and, you know, follow the science with COVID, but don't follow the science with gender and ideology and sex is like, it's incredibly confusing to have an inconsistent message. And so, you know, then I also told him, it's like, you know, I used to be a Republican, but I, 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 yeah, you know, became an independent, right. an independent because, you know, there are cases time for on labels. the Republican side. It's like the same fucking thing. Yeah, it is. It's the unicorn. You know, we talked about this a few days ago in the chat. Like it, we're, there, there's no difference anymore. No, there's, there's not, there's the political class and there's the non-political yeah. class. Right. And, you know, the only difference is uh, uh, the Democrats feel bad for having money and the Republicans really don't, you know, um, <laughs> that's the best way that I could sum it up. Yeah. Uh, and this, and the system is more along the lines of your ideology. And, and the guy literally told me, he goes, well, I'm not gonna, you know, have a protest vote cause that's stupid. And that would make my vote not matter. And I said, well, what can you do about it? And he, he was all like, well, I'm not going to do anything about it because I can't fix the system. I said, well, you can't talk to your friends about, you know, maybe getting the Democratic Party back to its original base. And he goes, no, because what's that going to do? I said, well, it might change their votes or it might change the way that they think. And, you know, they might go tell two or three people and those people might go tell two or three people. And now you've touched 30 or 40. Yeah. And he was like, oh, that's, you know, not going to work, whatever. And then he literally gave the argument of like, well, you know, you could always go run for office and everything else, but you're not going to change anything. And I was just like, okay, boomer, you know, like, <laughs> uh, you're old and senile and you're this rich white dude who lives, uh, in a million dollar house and, you know, supports Bernie Sanders and everything else. And you're an entrepreneur and you own a business and you make a lot of money. And that's, you weird. know, you're, you're that's telling weird. me that, you know, you're a Democrat and you're super logical and that you support everything that's doing and you would never vote for anybody other than Biden because vote along the party lines. I said, well, that kind of inherently goes against being logical and reasonable. Yeah. Imagine that. And that's, uh, that I think that I think is fundamentally the problem is everybody's so focused on the federal politics. Yep. And I just want to be focused on the things that are directly in our backyard. I agree. And, 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 and like I said, the, you know, when you're Joe Rogan, I don't know if you ever saw his stand up in 2016 before the election when it was Trump versus Clinton. It was it was in San Francisco. It was actually it's a great stand up to go back and watch. But he makes this argument about how the whole concept of the president is just dumb at this point. It's dumb. You know, there's 330 million people and you got one guy who's just in charge of everybody. Like it's dumb because no one's really paying attention to him. And, and it doesn't matter. And when and when they say deep state, I don't think a lot of people truly understand what the deep state is. Deep state are the non-elected officials and the people who have worked their way the up into the high ranks yeah. of the government. What we've talked who, about, yeah. who really control things. Absolutely. So this is in the DOJ. This is in federal bodies like the FDA, and um, you know uh, the folks in you know DARPA and everything. Yeah. The the military the people who are within it and then the people who retire and become contractors these are the folks who really run the country and and you know they're like well i've survived it an, an idiot uh um in office and i've survived their term and their presidency like it's not that big of a deal I'll, we'll get to yeah. the next one 
those are the folks that really run the country. Yep. And, you know, the, the president has really no ability to control them. He can appoint heads that provide general guidance, yep. you know, like the attorney general, but they don't have to fucking listen to the attorney general. Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, if you want to get anything done, you have to get somebody from the political class that knows how to get along with the bureaucrats. And at the end of the day, it's the same thing, which means that the pharmaceutical companies are, you know, they outnumber, I think it's like two to one, the entire uh, Congress in Washington, D.C. Just the pharmaceutical industry, the lobbyists, the two lobbyists. to one, every house rep, everybody in the Senate, right? Everybody in the judiciary. Power in numbers. What have we talked about already? It's like, so you want to talk about, you know, an ability to change. It's like, okay, I know how we can change things. Let me just focus on nutrition. If people focused on nutrition and they started eating healthy foods and they refused to take pharmaceutical products and they heavily considered what they actually needed vaccines for, mm. we could change the entire system fundamentally because the largest contributor of money in our political system is the pharmaceutical industries, period. And so just like we have all these boycotts with Bud Light and Target and cancel culture back in the day with, you know, all the social yeah. justice riots and everything else, yeah. protests, um, you know, if the consumer can have that much of an impact, I mean, the pharmaceutical companies are nothing more than private companies and sometimes public yep. can do the same thing there and would just, you know, cripple them. I'm surprised we haven't already started something like that, given the COVID thing. Joe Rogan is a force of nature when it comes to media. And I think, I think the pivot is happening. You know, the, the first step is the food industry. Mm -hmm. So not purchasing products that have the seed oils, not purchasing products that have all the refined carbohydrates. It's hard to know. look at, right? Like, it is, it's very hard. You have to be very knowledgeable, but the reality is it's the only way to become healthy. Yeah. And what will eventually happen is the food industries are capitalists. And so they realize that people's buying preferences are, sh are shifting. And so they'll yeah. start producing more of those products. And if they don't, they'll die and new competitors will come into the marketplace. And what that will mean is people will start eating more healthy and the food industry will start changing which means that the subsidies from the federal government will start changing because they will more closely align to the ingredients that are needed in masses to produce those foods, which then will eventually get to the pharmaceutical companies because people aren't going to be having to go to the doctor because they're not going to be healthy and rates of cancer are going to decline because uh, inflammation is largely declining. And, um, you know, the only thing, the only case against this that I would argue is they've given so many people the COVID vaccine that, you know, they've arguably got half of the country who will forever have long-term health problems from getting those vaccines. And I'm not saying that the vaccines didn't work or they weren't ineffective. I'm just saying we do not know the long-term side effects of them. And so I think there's going to be a healthy, you know, market there uh, for dealing with the byproducts of that. And I think so, I think the pharmaceutical and the medical industries will, you know, have that as a small little cash cow, but 
you know, the constant pushing of pharmaceuticals um, is largely problematic. And so I think the first step of solving it starts in the grocery stores. Yeah, um, I would agree 100% with that. And, and I always talked about, man, I've said this probably somewhere on here before, but we, we talk about looking at ingredients because, you know, I go back to when we started this. Yes, um, I did make a conscious decision like, hey, I was going to lose 20 pounds when I got out here, right? A lot of that had to do with diet. But for the most part, I, I do what I do and I don't really change because I never really ate unhealthily. But I would I would challenge anybody, just go to your grocery store. And before you go, if you don't already know, look up the ingredients that are in ice cream. Ice cream's got four basic things in it. It's cream, milk, sugar, and salt. Then go and pick up something in your grocery store and look at all the ingredients that are in it. Look how ice cream has changed which is why there's only one brand of ice cream I will still buy to this day. And that's Tillamook Farms, right? It comes from Oregon because they're literally, they adhere on most of their flavors to the original recipe. That's it. That's all that goes into it. It's about as natural as you can get. But if you go look at any other product, you're going to find 40 different fucking ingredients in ice cream. That's not ice cream. And yeah, that's all your food stuff at this point. Like It's just, inflammation hell. You right? know, you should, it should largely be... If uh, a food product has, actually, we, we should say it like this. You should be buying food ingredients. And food ingredients are anything that's largely going to be non-packaged. They're single ingredient whole foods. And right. if you're so buying a food you stay product. Stay to the external out. Don't, don't go to, the, in, don't go to the, the aisles. Stay on the outside of a grocery store, right? right? It's like basic shopping, right? Because that's where it, the real food is. Exactly. And if you're going to buy a food product, it should have five ingredients or less. That's generally a good rule of thumb to start. Okay. And, and the first ingredient probably shouldn't be fucking corn syrup or whatever the other shit that they throw in there as the first ingredient, which is just another clever way of saying sugar to get you to buy it because it tastes good. Right. And, and well, I always look at it like your food is going to disrupt your endocrine system. Okay. But disrupt in a good or bad way. So Refined carbohydrates, um, corn sugars, uh, seed oils. These are things that are going to specifically seed oils are going to mess with your endocrine system. I mean, imagine this. If you eat a bunch of blackberries or eat a bunch of berries and you, you, know, you take a crap, there's seeds that are still in that. Yeah. And basically, your digestive process gets the germination process started. Same thing with deers or whatever else. And then in your scat, it starts growing, et cetera. Well, that's the natural process. Your body is not supposed to digest those seeds. So what did we do in our infinite wisdom? We said, hey, well, we're, a, we're the food industry needs to take all of these seeds that come from all these foods that they process, and we need to find a way to make money with it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take those seeds, thousands and thousands of them, and we're going to condense them down and bleach them and get rid of the smells and we're going to make these wonderful things called oils like vegetable oil, canola oil, awful. um, awful. sunflower oil. Well, what, grape what this seed, is grapeseed oil. Is that another one? Yeah. Grape, grapeseed yeah. oils in there. Um, anything that's got a, a, a ridiculous amount of a certain type of, ah, man, I, I can't speak to it because just go listen to Paul Saladino. He has, he has that a lot. That's kind of, no, that's good. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Because but, it does have a negative effect. Just not only just on humans, but uh, sp specifically on men, 
Yeah. And, and, and the problem is, so you have all these chemicals in the seeds that have, yep. you know, uh, it, it's part yeah. of their biological process to reproduce and we're not ever supposed to digest those. Well, now all of a sudden you have those chemicals in a digestible format for the human body in the form of oil. So now it's disrupting your endocrine system, right? So seed oils, you should get rid of immediately out of your diet and you will feel better in two to three days. Oh, totally. 100%. Um, and, and that's the number one thing that I can tell people. But the problem is only like maybe five or 6% of all foods in the grocery store don't have seed oils. I mean, Alan, if I'm honest with you, if, 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 if I don't use olive oil, I probably 80% of everything I cook with is just butter. I cook with just I mean, butter, man. I have a whole drawer full of Kerrygold butter for this exact. Exactly. Reason. That's that's the same one I eat. Like that's the greatest thing you can do. And like, you know, we back. I go back to the start, the way the start of this when I introduced Frank. Look, the French do two things very well: they cook and they drink. They drink wine, they drink wine, and they eat amazing food and they use amazing. I would ingredients. argue three things, but one is inappropriate. Right. It's not even appropriate, but okay, but it. That's not well. That's gonna be the follow up, but yeah, that'll I be mean, the late night podcast. What, <laughs> welcome to the late night podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just butter and wine. I mean, look at the basis of their food. It's just people in America have been conditioned to think like, oh, that's so unhealthy. It's like, really? Have you have you seen them? Well, and and the other crazy thing too is people in America. We we have the worst leaders from a food perspective. Oh God! You know well, a the, lot of this ties down. A lot of it goes back to World War II and the, the the preservatives that came out of that, and they never really left our our mass society once the war ended. Well, yeah, we 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 have this deal with the devil that we basically made when you talk about the food pyramid. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and and the food pyramid was basically yeah. like, hey, look, we have people who are malnourished. Yeah. They're malnourished because they don't have lots of money and we don't have the availability of foods for them. Right. And so our solution with the food pyramid, and, and, and this is largely the origins of the food pyramid, which you could argue is more of a marketing ploy, but, but these were the, the basic things that they were looking for. Predominantly, we needed to get calories at a low cost that tasted good to people who are malnourished because at the time of the food pyramid, this was actually a thing. We had people in the United States that were malnourished. And so the solution, which they achieved, uh, and this is not a get out of jail free card for the food industry or the FDA or anything, but that's what they started really pushing the really uh, refined carbohydrates and the, and the corn syrups and everything else. And so they were able to achieve really good tasting, high caloric food, high caloric intake foods that solved that problem. But the metric was wrong. And what they're finding out now is it's not necessarily about calories. It's about bioavailability of nutrients. And so bioavailability means for, if I'm explaining this to a fifth grader, it's basically yes. like not all nutrients are created the same. So the body only has a certain ability to digest certain forms of proteins or certain forms of minerals or certain forms of vitamins or carbohydrates. And so this is why people who eat like very high meat or very uh, large animal-based diets, you know, when they go to the bathroom, they have uh, a, a much smaller stool. If you eat a lot of vegetables and everything else and tons of fiber and um, chips and all these other things, you'll notice you take these really, really large stools. And a lot of that, this is the great equation. This is the great explanation of bioavailability. 
if you have less coming out, your body is able to digest and break down more of it and use more of it for energy. Ah, that's interesting. That's I never heard it like that. That's, that's interesting. So, so that's, yeah. that's and and what they're finding is with like these vegan diets, these vegan diets on a perspective of macronutrients for proteins and carbohydrates and fats and minerals and vitamins that they, they all have these, these things uh, that sort of check every box, but the bioavailability of them is incredibly low uh, in comparison to an yeah, animal-based diet. That's amazing. That's another thing. Like if we just go back to talk about society and like the, the problems that, you know, like I say, Americans create most of them. Let's talk about that diet. You think you think, you know, six hundred years ago they gave a fuck about being a fucking vegan, or they just wanted to eat so they could not die? Why? Well, <laughs> you know, a, so there's the fallacy that eating animals is a bad thing, not only morally yeah. but for the environment. And and I would agree only for humans, through, I guess, because every other animal on this planet's you know they're fine. Well, if you drive through Fresno, California, I, I would disagree with you a little bit. Okay. You, you you drive by Harris Ranch and it smells horrible. Yeah, yes, it smells it does. like cow manure. And you can and, stay uh, there. They got an amazing restaurant and hotel. It's great. It's yeah, <laughs> but it is it is. That's you know, um, yeah. I've I've heard a really good analogy. This is incredibly inappropriate. You know, for somebody who's Jewish, uh, please forgive me. But this is a, this is a great representation of. They call it cowschwitz. Oh, because wow. because literally it is where they process and feed. Um, in very unnatural environments, thousands yeah. and thousands of cattle. And so, you know, if you put my analogy into perspective there by saying Cowschwitz, I mean, that's basically what it is. This is not a Napa or Sonoma hillside that's green yeah. and the sun right. is out yeah, and no, it's, it's 70 just degrees. It's, just dirt. it's dirt and nastiness in the armpit of California. And, yep. and it's a little bit of a desert environment and they're eating corn, wheat and soy and these things are not what those animals are supposed to be doing normally. Like, for example, yeah, they shouldn't be the parallel that. is humans are not supposed to be eating highly processed foods from grocery stores. Look how fat and unhealthy we've become. Oh, yeah. The same thing is happening with cattle. And so I get I I, 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 I I sort of emphasize with uh, or not emphasize, but I. I feel for what the vegans are saying, but the the, the fallacy that they're rooted in is that all cattle are bad for the environment because of Harris Ranch. Well, there's such things as regenerative agriculture, right? Yeah. And regenerative farming. And so you can buy, you know, meat that is, you know, sustainable and sure an animal, yes, has to die. And I don't think you can ever get around that, but it's much more beneficial for the environment to do it in that way. And so, um, yeah, it's more expensive. But the reality is, you know, I think that's where the vegan argument falls apart because they're rooted in because one thing is bad or most things are bad. All things are bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's that. And so I emphasize, I, I sort of, I, I feel where the vegans are coming from. But on our last podcast we had with Curtis, at the end of the podcast, we actually brought up a vegan placenta versus <laughs> somebody who ate a high animal-based diet placenta in the, the, like in childbirth, visual at yes, the the organ of life, the placenta, the visual aspects of the placenta, one looked incredibly unhealthy, yeah. and the other one looked really dense and vibrant and full of life. 
And the one that looked unhealthy was vegan. And the one that looked incredibly healthy was the one that had the animal based diet. And here's the, like, here's the irony. My wife, Katie, you know, she delivered our, our first daughter, Brooklyn, about yeah. 10 days after her due date. And they were like, man, your placenta is doing really well. Cause if you go too late, what they worry about is your placenta not working, which is basically what gets all the nutrients to the baby. Yeah, right. Well, we had a friend who had to deliver a couple weeks early because they said her placenta was failing. Well, guess what? She's a vegan. Mm. So now I have some anecdotal evidence in my life. Yeah. And also, you know, from this comparison, you guys can go look at it. Vegan placenta versus meat eating placenta. Um, you know, and so there's some anecdotal evidence to the fact that, you know, bioavailability and nutrient density really, really matters. And the lie that we were told was like leafy greens are, you know, really good for you. The problem is largely we as humans like to think we understand things, but we, we only know what we know at the time and what we know at the time we pronounce as truth, right? Instead of something different. And I would argue that this is what we know today subject to tomorrow. And that is entirely different from truth. And so getting back to the leafy greens comment, it was like, that's a superfood, but it's not a superfood if you compare it to beef liver. Right. Beef liver makes it look like child's play in terms of nutrient density. The, there's some shit the liver king has incredibly right, besides lying about steroids. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, that the reminds me of what you're saying. It's like, I mean, you know this. You you do it. Your brother does it. You know, it, I mean, that's how our softball team started was from fucking CrossFit, right? But correct. What's the, what's the CrossFit prescription, right? What's fitness in a hundred words? You know, you eat meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, and no sugar. There, well, that's the first start to it, right? That's your diet. And then everything else comes from from that. But that's essentially it. Yeah. And, I, and I would never be one of those people to be like, you have to maintain 100% when it Because look, I have a sweet tooth. Always have, right? I love my ice cream. I love my cookies from time to time. I like sugar once in a while. But for the most part, Monday through Friday, it's just vegetables and meat. That's it. You know, yeah. maybe rice once in a while because, you know, I, I, if, I, if I feel weak, I eat rice. That's, that's pretty much how it comes down to. And then... You know, the vegetables and the fruits, those things. Never once have I been, when I go to a grocery store, do I just be like, man, I just want to get nothing but processed food and frozen. And all, like, I've never been that way, which does come from my parents. That's been a yeah. good side because my dad, you know, he was a bodybuilder. He taught us kind of how to eat and work out and train. And my mom's a nurse, so she never ate poorly. She was smart from that side of it. Yeah, like, I mean, that's the basis. Like, CrossFit, I don't know when it's going to finally not be demonized in society, but we're going on, like, 27 years of this stuff, and it's still, like, the meme. Well, like, CrossFit's a cult. I mean, there's no yeah, doubt like, about still? it. Really? It's a it's cult, like, it's a cult it's of healthy living. Six. And... Like, let's move on. Like, it's just, it's accepted at this point. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's like, it's not going away. It works. I mean, <laughs> a cult of discipline and a yeah. cult of hard work Yeah, and a cult of... Uh, continual improvement in community yeah. is a cult I want to be in. Yeah. I you mean, know, I, I just, I, it gets funny that like, and still in 2023, I get these like these gym guy attacks though. It's like, man, what are you so like threatened of? I don't like, if you want to go do leg press, go do leg. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I literally don't care that you want to sit there and rep out bicep curls. Like good for you, man. So, so let me, <laughs> 
let me get back to the nutrition subject before yeah, we move please on do. to bicep curls. Yeah. <laughs> I try to minimize my intake of vegetables right now. Yeah, I don't I honestly don't. Maybe twice a week at most. And the reason why is because you were doing that carnivore thing, weren't you, for a while? Yeah, we can talk yeah. about that. Uh the the vegetables are extremely problematic if they're not organic yeah okay and largely due to the pesticides and what we had talked about earlier was that you know those pesticides are largely endocrine disruptors and there's a large relationship between microplastics and um, glyphosate right which is the main ingredient in roundup that monsanto sold company that sold it it it's no longer going to make it yeah well glyphosate has a half-life of 26 years holy fuck and so if you don't oh do a so good that's in job, you forever, right. If you don't do a good job of, you know, cleaning your vegetables. Wow. There's a good chance that glyphosate is in your body and it's, it's causing a significant disruption to your endocrine system, which is testosterone and everything else. Yeah. And so they're talking about, you know, there's some science out that's, you know, uh, testicle and, and, and penis sizes have, have shrunk quite dramatically more than normal uh, you know, outside of a normal standard deviation, which in statistical terms means uh, ring the alarm bell. That's not normal. Yeah. And so uh, they're thinking that a lot of that has to do in the relation of microplastics and uh, pesticides uh, mm-hmm. getting involved in people's bodies when they go through puberty. Crazy. And so the reason why I don't um, eat many vegetables right now is because I want to incorporate vegetables back in my diet once I grow them. And then that way I can know exactly what's in them. A lot of the problem, even with organic is. It's such a low standard. It's such a low standard to be called organic. It it is. And also it can be in a foreign country and who's governing it 24 seven. Yeah. Now the challenge that I have with organic is, you know, we talked about this earlier. Glyphosate has a 26 year. uh, uh, That's crazy. uh, Half life. -life. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Well, to be an organic uh, farm, the or to be an organic uh, product, uh, I I believe this is the case. Um, I haven't looked this up, but it's what I told from somebody who I trust. Was that the land in which the vegetable or plant is grown on has to be free and clear of pesticides for five years? Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, so. What about the other 21 years of yeah, right, still there because glyphosate I, being in the soil? Yeah, yeah the half life still going on. Yeah, that's why I said it's a low standard. And and I fundamentally believe that's why you know the the best things that we can do as a culture, I believe, are a sense of community. A sense of community we can find through hard work and discipline, but also learning how to grow our own foods and raise our own animals. Yeah. Uh, you're right. And, like we're at large, we're just you know and you largely have to become independent of the government yeah and one of the things that i think about is if we continue going down the path of nonsense and follow the science but only when it's in our favor um i really can I'm, i'm really concerned if we go down the central currency coin route that what will happen is they will disincentivize land ownership and they will disincentivize 
um, an ability to be autonomous with your resources that the government provides, whether in the form of public utility or in the form of commodities with food. And then if it gets to a point where you don't have any control over that, well, what happens if they start, you know, rationing or limiting water supplies or um, using those as forms of control to uh, dissuade public dissent or public opinions on certain topics or maybe in certain areas? I mean, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that with the Trump standard, they the yeah. DOJ was very biased in its approach and now they have something that seems really valid and concrete, right? And they sh he should go to jail if that's the case. Um, but they have fucked up so inherently bad getting to this point that yep. uh, even a, a person who is a supporter of Trump could reasonably say, this is a witch hunt and I don't believe it because they've been given plenty of reason to think that way. Yep. And so now it's not too far-fetched to go, okay, well, if they did this to somebody who's not the political class and they censored scientists over COVID um, through social media companies with the DOJ uh, in the name of national security and follow the science, it's, again, not a big stretch to say that they would start to do that in other areas. And so, you know, nutrition and everything else, this is why mm -hmm. these, I think, are really good skills to have growing yeah. your own food. But not everybody wants to live out in the country, but... You know, it's a skill that yeah, I would do it tomorrow if I could, on. man. Tomorrow if I could. I'm just ready to be on a hill by myself with the high ground and just have all avenues of approach covered with my firearms. And I would just be good. I just buy and raise my own stuff and, and go from there. But it's a good transition because I wanted to ask you, um, again, I know you're younger. I know we experienced 9-11 differently. But I think the bigger question today, because you kind of just touched on it with the DOJ and I was like, you know, especially me growing up, like institutions in this country were kind of, you know, hands off, like they were revered, you know, and I and I speak from the three letter agencies to any of your government stuff that people have, you know, written and made movies and books over for for centuries, not centuries, but for the last like 70, 80 years in this country. But where do you think we're at in this country? Or, or where are you with just these institutions? Because it seems like over the last, definitely the last decade, they've lost a ton of credibility and man, I don't know. It just seems like there's just not a lot of uh, there's just not a lot of belief and and trust in those institutions that have always kind of maintained their this legitimacy reputation. If that makes sense, and I know you got ten minutes. So we'll, yeah, what I hear you saying, what I hear you largely saying is, you know, how do you keep faith and trust in the government? And yeah. and and I think it's I think it's somewhat of an easy answer you take away the responsibility that they have and then you realize that they're going to try to do the, the best thing possible but they're largely going to fail and probably do subpar or below average yeah and so if you take away their responsibility they can't let you down that bad but you know that they have to exist uh for the government and society to function and so i think the answer is you know, minimize the increasing role and responsibility that they've had and then put in place severe restrictions and I shouldn't say restrictions, severe criminal penalties for what we will call conflict of interest. 
Now, what that will do is that will largely disincentivize the FDA being the on-ramp to the pharmaceutical industry or the healthcare yeah, industry. Yeah, yeah. And this isn't going to solve all problems, but what it will do is it will buy a period of time, a period of time for people to regain trust and confidence in the system, a period of time for largely um, them to regrow the power and influence that they have and the responsibilities that they have because over time they'll find ways to get new ones. Yeah, And so I think it will just be an iterative process. So I think we're at the point where we're at the end of the that process and now we need to basically say, hey, look, you need to be cut off. We need to put restrictions in place. You know, these restrictions will bring us up to current and this will get us operating, you know, smoothly and effectively for the next 10 to 15 years. And then we're going to have to do the same thing. I, don't, I, I, I largely think that that is really the only viable path forward. These are fundamental institutions for our society, but there's just no, um, there, there's no evolution or change to them happening in a radical format. And I think a, a radical change has to happen like it does in the free market about every 10 to 15 years. Well, I think you also have to have some sort of, you have to demonstrate some pattern of success. And we've, unfortunately, a lot of them have been wrong for so long, especially recently in their assessments and what they've you know presented to the American people. Like they don't really have a track, a track record at this point of deterrence, of success, of anything that you would largely put your trust and faith in because what they've presented going back even, I mean, when General Powell or while well, he was Colin Powell, Secretary of State at the time, making his case to the UN for our justification for invading Iraq, like it's not proved to be true. Yeah, I I, I definitely get with that. Um, the uh, I see this in technology a lot with the clients we work with. Okay. They go from one extreme to the other. Yeah. Because like this didn't work. So the exact opposite must work. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And Eric, I don't have the answer for how do you solve the accountability problem. Well, but well this I was a waste. I'm just going to turn this off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it's really tough and challenging. Somebody has to have the courage to basically say, we are going to put it in law and on paper that activities of any role at any level constitute as criminal behavior. And so taking the country to war over something that was materially false is a, I, I, I don't know if it's an option, but, but it is an indictable offense. Yeah. You know, we, we have to do some things that are specific, but have a little bit of room for interpretation yeah. so that basically, in my opinion, we incentivize making politicians think twice. They're still going to do it, yeah. but we, we incentivize making them think twice about it. And the reality is, I don't know if that will ever get solved. And I don't think it gets solved until you get money out of politics. And the largest amounts of money in politics are pharmaceuticals and technology. Yeah. And so the way that we can solve the pharmaceutical problem now is 
becoming more healthy as a country, eating the right foods, forcing the food industry mm-hmm. to, um, you know, start to make the products that align with uh, a, a betterment of our health as a as a society. Um, and then that will inherently start to kill the pharmaceutical industry and make them less powerful because their money printing machine will uh, go away. I also think that on the vaccine side too, um, turns out that a lot of the anti-vax people had a lot of things right. Yeah, you go listen to uh, Kennedy on his podcast he just had with uh, Jordan Peterson. And he pretty much just goes, hey, look, like all the childhood vaccines, all the things that I was saying that I was blackballed for, that I was put on a censorship list, they did all those same things with the COVID vaccine. You know, so it's not that far of a stretch to think that, A, their monetary interests were aligned with getting a vaccine out into the marketplace and then influencing regulation to make sure that they could sell vaccines and then get immunity from it or have immunity from it through uh, whatever the thing was that Nixon signed. And, um, you know, hey, by the way, that was the playbook of what happened with COVID. And so uh, from that front, I think that, you know, parents, if they can find a way to homeschool or to become more autonomous of their health decisions, I think general health and wellness in terms of nutrition and um, uh, health choice independence, I think those things could really cripple the system because if you look at what's holding it up, it's uh, technology, it's healthcare, and it's the pharmaceutical industry. Alan Alan is making the case for accountability for our leaders at the top levels. And unfortunately, we have we have not seen that take place. Um, I would love to continue this conversation with you at a later date. Maybe bring on Curtis and we can talk about abs and (laughs) all those things that he likes to flex in the team pictures. But uh, this is Alan Morte. He joins us from Three Ventures. He has the Whack Attack podcast that you should totally go and check out on Spotify uh other places i assume yes not just spotify it's on every podcast Everywhere. channel yes, you can think as of. it should okay and and so that's him and i appreciate you for joining me thank you very much um until next time please there always will be bourbon grab more drink more do more it's alan morte three ventures whack attack podcast thanks brother thanks eric